0: Hey, y'all, it's the NPR Politics Podcast, and we are here with a quick take for you about, you already guessed it, the Donald Trump campaign.
1: Now, my wife is constantly saying, darling, be more presidential.
0: This was Donald Trump back in April.
1: And I'll be, at some point, I'm going to be so presidential that you people will be so bored... And I'll come back as a presidential person.
0: So the question all year has been whether or not Donald Trump can actually pivot to run a different campaign after locking up the nomination for his party. So far, the answer is no. No, 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 no. Not at all. Um, We're going to talk about that and more. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter.
2: I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign.
3: And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor.
0: All right. So I just spent a few days with the Trump campaign last week in North Carolina and Florida. I have a lot to say about that. I hadn't been with Trump in a few months. Uh, But let's just start by taking a moment to say the idea of this episode is to talk about how it seems Donald Trump is not going to, quote, pivot for the general campaign. And in the last three or four days, there has been more evidence to support that claim. Right, Tamara?
2: There has. There is. Is a New York Times article that talks about now it has a lot of unnamed sources, but it, it talks about the campaign uh, trying to sit him down, do interventions, Trump down. get Donald Trump to you know stay on message.
0: And that's not happening.
2: That is not happening. He took to Twitter over the weekend, criticized heavily that article. Uh, Which calls
0: him, quote, sullen and erratic at one point.
2: <sighs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's not going to love that. And then I just want to read you a few tweets because I think do this it. will give a sense of where he is. He says, I have always been the same person. Remain true to self. The media wants me to change, but it would be very dishonest to supporters to do so. Quote, stay on messages that chant. I always do trade, jobs, military vets. Second A, repeal O-Care, borders, etc. but media misrepresents, exclamation point. And, and this one, the failing NY Times, which never spoke to me, keeps saying that I am saying to advisors that I will change. False. I am who I am. Never said. The point here is Donald Trump is telling us, He's not going to change. I am not going to change. I am the guy.
3: He's like, I'm the same old G. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that anybody thinks that he's going to, quote unquote, pivot, I think was a mistake all along. I think that's been more Republican hope. It was really funny watching Donald Trump tweet this weekend saying the media wants me to change. The media doesn't want. Trump to change. That's not our job. And we're observing that he isn't changing. It's Republicans who would like to get on board, who wish that he would stick
2: to some kind of script. And it's just not who he is. I have a theory that there are basically there is one Donald Trump. There are various versions of it. There is big rally Donald Trump, which you witnessed. Oh, yeah. In heavy doses uh, over the last week. There is Twitter Donald Trump, who was off the charts this weekend tweeting and then there is teleprompter speech Donald Trump, who we will see today, later today, we're taping this early in the day, but this afternoon he's giving a teleprompter speech about terrorism and he will read the script. And, and and every time he does that is when some people in the Republican Party, some eternal optimists will say, whoa, 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 look at that. He, he did the presidential thing. He totally did it.
0: But I feel like what we're seeing more recently is a teleprompter Trump losing its share in Trump land right I mean like because like there have been speeches now where I'll see him come out with notes and things to read and things to say and then he'll say I'm going to go off
3: Look, I think there's a familiar pattern here. I mean, you see Donald Trump say something off the cuff, get himself into some kind of controversy. Then you will see story after story about the family or Republican leaders trying to meet with him to tell him to rein it in. Then he'll rein it in and he'll have a scripted speech or two. And then he'll get kind of itchy and he'll go off script. And then there's another controversy. And it's just what he does. It's a it's a familiar pattern. I don't see any evidence for it to change. In fact, when you listen to that earlier cut that we played where he says, I'm going to be so presidential, it would be boring. He doesn't like boring. And his fans don't like it either.
0: I noticed last week when I was talking to folks who were there at these Trump events, they came for that. They came for the show. They came to see him do that thing where he's riffing and going there. And I talked to Christine Mancini from Boca Raton, Florida. She was at a rally of his in Fort Lauderdale. And she basically said that he has to stay the way he is.
2: So if he was going to come and try to draw 20,000 people to an event and he recited the Constitution, he'd have 300 people come.
0: She's like, you have to keep up the spectacle for the show. But on the flip side, lots of folks I talked to, I said, all right, give Trump some kind of like
2: campaign advice. advice. Yeah, yeah, like
0: you have... Trump in a room. What do you say? A lot of them said I would tell him just to settle down, stay on message, pump your brakes, have some focus. They kept saying the word focus. Um, I will say, though, watching the Trump rallies last week, I noticed kind of like it finally made sense to me. Like he loves the sound and the feel and the emotion in those rallies, you'll see him start to make an outlandish statement, like the ISIS stuff or the Second Amendment stuff. And you'll see the glimmer in his eyes when he hears what he's saying begins to, like, resonate. And he'll feel the applause, and he'll feel the room start to go there with him. And then he'll double down on that because he knows that it's working. It's almost like a stand up comic trying out like some new jokes or something. If the joke is killing, he's going to keep saying that joke, right?
2: And if not, you move just right exactly. Up along.
0: Exactly. But he is really good at playing off the energy of these rooms. And, so, and, I, and I saw what, it in his eyes. And what night. most campaigns
3: do is they tell the jokes, they work for the audience, they like it, and then they focus group them. And yeah. then they pull them. Not, no, <laughs> and then they
0: see try. whether they work. As long as he feels that level of Love. Love and joy for that kind of moment. He's going to keep trying to have those moments.
2: Well, and over the weekend, he went to Connecticut for a fundraiser. A normal presidential candidate running a normal campaign might go to some place like Connecticut that is definitely going to go Democratic. Hold a fundraiser. Get the heck out of Dodge. Don't waste any time. Keep moving. Donald Trump held a rally. It's because these rallies fuel him. They you make, can
0: see it happen. He loves the crowd. He eats it up. They, they give him energy.
2: Yeah. And I,
3: I think that that's a potential problem for any candidate. Somebody who thinks that the rallies indicate voter depth of AKA support. A.k.a. Bernie Sanders.
2: Yes. Well, as, as I said you know, during the primary, yeah. a big rally full of people who adore you Doesn't does not votes. a winning coalition make. Yes. And, All those people could vote for you and you will still lose there New you York go. City. And yeah.
3: I'll, I'll say I've heard from Republican sources who say that Donald Trump thinks he can win Connecticut. Like, that's the reason he does these events in places like Connecticut. He hired a pollster to tell him that he could win in New York. I mean the what you mean the,
0: hired a pollster to tell him he could win. Well he hired <laughs> he a, the pollster to tell him he could win. He
3: hired a pollster to just poll New York, John McLaughlin, who by the way was the guy who polled for Eric Cantor before Eric Cantor lost and showed that Eric Cantor was winning by a lot. So Maybe he can come up with some kind of poll that convinces himself that he can win in places like that. But he's wasting a lot of time and energy when he should be focusing on places where his message could resonate with persuadable voters. So...
0: Today, a few hours after we're taping this episode, Trump is scheduled to give a big teleprompter speech on terrorism and national security. We do know in this speech he's going to propose political tests for immigrants. According to the AP, his proposal would evaluate potential immigrants and, quote, assess a candidate's stances on issues like religious freedom, gender equality, and gay rights. Through questionnaires, searching social media, interviewing friends and family or other means, applicants would be vetted to see whether they support American values like tolerance and pluralism.
2: So you can just like say you support tolerance and pluralism, no? Yeah. Yeah. So
0: this seems to be the latest iteration of the Muslim ban. Now it's no longer about religion explicitly, but about values, which seems to be a really wide open word that folks could
3: use however they want. He had pivoted during the convention or before that to stop saying that it was a ban on Muslims coming into the U.S. He'd gotten a lot of pushback and the way that they decided to reframe this was to say that it wouldn't be people coming in from places with a proven history of terrorism. So what had been some of the criticism of that was that it wasn't very specific, didn't know which countries that meant. And what you're going to potentially get from Trump's speech is some more detail. So
0: my question is this, like Donald Trump is not the first politician to go off script.
3: Lots of politicians have done it before. Has there ever been a campaign like this before? I couldn't think of of a campaign before that's, you know, functions in this way. The thing is, we should keep in mind that this is August and there's the Olympics going on, which a lot of us are enjoying watching. And, you know, most of these general election campaigns start in earnest after Labor Day. I will say, though, that we're three weeks after the conventions and Donald Trump hasn't had a good headline since those those conventions and the polls do start to settle in. There are plenty of things that could change the dynamics. You look at the debates, you look at uh, any kind of potential world event. And certainly we know uh, in June, we had lots of world events that were potentially problematic. So maybe Donald Trump has a few weeks to be able to put something together. It's going to be hard to do because he hasn't done himself any favors over the last three weeks. But there is some time.
2: There is time. But right. I uh, I want to play a piece of tape for you. It's a, a pollster named Witt Ayers. Now, he worked for Marco Rubio in the primary. Um, but he says, like, the thing that surprises him is that people are still surprised that Trump has not pivoted
1: the best predictor
2: of future behavior is past behavior waiting for donald trump to change is like marrying someone in the hope that they
1: will turn into someone you can love that is always a bad
0: bet Mm. it's a bad marriage is what he's saying
3: Yeah, I mean, Whit Ayers has been at the center of understanding demographic change in this country. He wrote a book about it earlier this year. It's why he got on board with Marco Rubio, thinking his message and the way that the future of the party could go would be helpful. But I will just say this says a lot about the Republican Party. You know, if you have these people who are upset about Donald Trump being their nominee, you know, there was plenty of time to vote in a primary. And the rank and file of the party, which was stirred up starting with Sarah Palin in 2008, spurring the birth of the Tea Party and laying the foundation for someone like Donald Trump to come along. If Donald Trump doesn't change and if Donald Trump does wind up losing and Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, there are going to be a lot of questions that have less to do with what happened to America and more to do with what happened to the Republican Party. Yeah. So Trump is
0: also saying more and more that if he loses, it'll be because the election is rigged. So his campaign is actually registering volunteers to observe polling places. He talked about this Friday in Altoona, Pennsylvania.
1: And we're going to watch Pennsylvania very quickly. We're going to watch Pennsylvania. Go down to certain areas and watch and study and make sure other people don't come in and vote five times. Because if you do that, and I know you're all voting. Is everybody here voting? If you do that, if you do that, we're not going to lose. The only way we can lose... In my opinion, I really mean this, Pennsylvania, as if cheating goes on. I really believe it.
0: So, as soon as he said this, lots of folks said, actually, no, you can't do that. There's some legal precedent that keeps people from being at the polls in a way that's meant to intimidate voters. I think, Domenico, you have uh, some intel on this.
3: Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about this is how the Trump campaign responded to this, where they told NPR Sarah McCammon that this is really about having poll watchers look out for lawful voters being able to vote. Now, that's a really interesting way to frame this. And there's a reason for that. Because back in the 1980s, in 1982, there was a court case that said that the RNC, the Republican National Committee, was not allowed to try ballot security efforts. They weren't allowed to go to a polling place, this also, the 1982 court case stemmed from voter claims in the 1970s about voter intimidation, particularly in black neighborhoods. Now, because of that, that's where this 82 case came from. In 2013, the Supreme Court upheld that case and said that the RNC still has to be limited to what they can do. Now, remember, the RNC is working in conjunction with the Trump campaign on getting out the vote efforts on voter registration drives. So because of all that, you see the Trump campaign, realizing it has to walk a very fine line in how they talk about this. But clearly, Donald Trump is talking about voter fraud and about cheating. And you could potentially have a situation that's very dangerous.
2: The thing that's mind boggling to me is like, this seems like an end stage type of thing, organizing people to watch the polls or, you know, put the most benevolent spin on it. It still is like, what about I don't know, running TV ads in Pennsylvania (laughs) or having campaign offices or organizing people to knock on doors on the weekends.
0: Right. That said, it is, what, still August. Trump could build up some bigger organization between now and November.
3: Does that seem likely? Well, he says he's going to spend a lot of money. And he was threatening over the weekend also that, you know, at that rally in Connecticut, I think it was, where he said, you know, it'd be a shame if I spent all this money. Can you
1: imagine how badly I'll feel? if I spent all of that money, all of this energy, all of this time, and lost. I will never, ever forgive the people of Connecticut. I will never forgive the people of Florida and Pennsylvania and Ohio. But I love them anyway. We'll see. I think we're going to do very well.
3: So he's considering spending the money. They haven't spent the money. The RNC is supplementing most of the on the ground organizing. Trump feels like he can get a lot of media attention for free and has not yet devoted any kind of resources to spending money on television ads. He spent zero on television ads, which is also, by the way, a really bad idea because you get a discount the earlier... You book the ads. Also, Trump is
0: correct. He will always get media attention,
3: but all of it recently has been
0: negative.
2: There's a reason why you pay for ads so that you can put your spin on it. I will say, though, I have just started seeing an NRA ad, hmm. uh, Rifle Association, anti-Hillary Clinton ad. So Donald Trump is getting a little help on the airwaves, but he's not putting that money up himself.
0: Now, we do got to point out, though, uh, if there's time for Trump to pivot, there's also time for Hillary Clinton. She's still facing some serious issues. What like what about her could throw this in a different kind of way?
2: So um, there could be some huge... Revelation in the DNC email hack. Um, one thing that is likely to come out sometime in the next days or so um, the FBI is releasing to uh, members of Congress the notes from their interview with Hillary Clinton um, about her email server. That would be the next point at which. She could get some negative headlines.
3: Now, remember, last week also she released her tax her, her tax returns in a way to try to pressure Trump to release his. But in the substance of her tax returns, you see that she made ten and a half million dollars with her husband, mostly from speaking. So we've had a mostly lot of mostly bill speeches. That's in right. The last year, and you've had they've made over one hundred and fifty million dollars in the last decade, almost just from speaking. Most of their money that they've made, the charity that it goes through is the Clinton Family Foundation. So it's not like they're giving tons of money to charity outside of the Clinton Family Foundation. Now, the Clinton Family Foundation may be taking that money and doing good things with it. But these are the kinds of things maybe a different Republican would have been able to use and hit Hillary Clinton with and tag her as an old style of politics and, you know, be able to say you want something different. Here's something else you can choose.
0: Um, before we go, one little piece of podcast news. There's a new podcast in the world of politics. Uh, this one from Hillary Clinton herself. Let's hear a clip. <laughs> uh, before we get started, I have a question for you. Yes.
1: What What do I What should I call you?
0: You can call me whatever you want to call me. You can call me Hillary. You can call me Madam Secretary. You can call me Hey You. Anything you want.
3: I'm not going to call you Hey You,
1: <laughs>
0: but I'll call you Hillary. Are okay.
3: We're ready. Hi, Hillary.
0: Hi, Max. Really? So, yeah. What is this podcast called?
2: Uh, with Her? Mm. Yeah, it's called so, With Her. So this is
0: like a 20-minute interview with Hillary Clinton hosted by an independent producer and a Clinton supporter named Max Linsky. In this interview, Hillary reflects on the night of her nomination. They talk about her daily routine, what time she wakes up. Whether Such she uses hard-hitting journalism.
2: Yeah, well, he says at the outset, I'm not a journalist. I'm a small business owner, okay. his business being podcasting, Yeah. and I support Hillary Clinton. So, we have some more of it, I think. Yeah.
3: All right,
0: so 6.30, you woke up and what happens next? Like, what's the first thing you do in the morning? What's the first piece of work? Do you have, like, a to-do list? Oh, I have
3: such a long to-do list. It's really depressing. (laughs) I I have a to-do list on paper. I have a to-do list
0: in my phone. I have a to-do list in my head. Obviously, I check my email. I check my texts. I check my you know, latest news. Uh, so here's the thing, so and you can speak, can speak to this a lot, Tamara. Yeah. Hillary Clinton has not had a full-fledged actual press conference since December of last year. This she is won't correct. talk to the media, but she's doing this.
2: This is aimed at her supporters. And yep. this is aimed at showing a side of Hillary Clinton that I'm just going to go out and say wouldn't exist if I were conducting the interview. Because I wouldn't ask what time she sets her alarm.
3: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, this is the latest evolution in candidates trying to bypass the filter. Yeah. And the fact is, in what we've seen over the last 10 years, uh, 11 years since YouTube came along, is a lot of candidates realizing that they can have their own media. They don't need the media like we'd seen in years past to have to get their message out. In this way, she can do local news interviews so it's more scripted uh, or it's well, less, less negative, yeah. and she can do a podcast now because podcasts are so popular. You know, yeah. Podcasts are so one. hot right now. This is proof so that we are hot. Right, yeah. so instead of coming on our podcast to take what would be tougher <laughs> questions... Open invitation, Madam you know, Secretary, open uh, invitation. Uh, she talks to Max. She'll talk to Max in her own podcast, and you can imagine that those questions are not going to be hard-hitting questions. And maybe
0: she saw the questions before the interview.
3: Or they're just talking. I mean, they're just talking.
0: Okay, well, we will see who else has a podcast by the end of the week when we come back for our weekly roundup on Thursday. Until then, more of our coverage is on your local NPR station and in the Election Essentials section in NPR 1. Uh, please rate us on iTunes if you enjoy the show. That helps others find us. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter.
2: I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. And I'm Domenico
0: Montanaro, political editor. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.